Well, good day. Glad to be with you guys again for the second week in a row. Um, this week, I'm going to be looking at the book of Esther as we look at God's, and I'm reminded of, God's sovereignty during exile. When I was a young lad, <laughs> uh, senior year of high school, um, I had a traumatic experience happened to me. Uh, I had a massive panic attack um, brought on by uh, just the overbearing um, sense of fear and dread. And um, I dropped to the ground. I felt like I lost control of my body. I was shaking and shivering. And uh, it was a very traumatic experience. I never experienced anything like that. And subsequently, I began to have minor anxiety attacks. Uh, kind of stemming from that moment and uh, over the summer uh, after I finished my senior year of high school and was entering into college you know I struggled with anxiety and I began to see a psychologist uh, to help kind of talk through that and get bearings on that um, and then I entered into college my freshman year with the anxiety kind of still really going and that eventually led me to uh, faith in Jesus. Long story, really short. <laughs> and um, eventually, about two or three years into my faith journey, God delivered me from those anxiety attacks. But as I look back at that moment and I try to think through why I struggle with anxiety as much as I did, um, I realized that at the core of why I was struggling, was this belief that the world was chaotic, that the world was uncontrolled, um, that random acts of evil happen at any point, at any time, and I really have no control over it. And um, it's perfect grounds for fear um, because I think I was left feeling very much a victim and very much not in control um, because of the fear and the anxiety that I was having and it was not until I became a Christian that I realized that the world was in fact not chaotic that even though things appear as if things are random and things are uncontrolled the reality is that God is sovereignly in control and ordaining all things and is in control of all things as they are happening. And so that does not mean that evil is not a very real thing that we have to deal with and grapple with. Um, but the reality was that I, I could rest knowing that there was an all-powerful God who was for me and who was controlling all things. And as we live as exiles in the world, and we wrestle with the evil, sometimes seemingly random evil that happens in the world. It is very, very easy for us to um, co-sign the belief that in fact life is just chaos. And I mean, you just look at 2020 in and of itself, it seems like we're just overwhelmed with sorrow left and right. Um, and that there are many, many things that seemingly 
affect our well-being. Threats to our physical well-being, our lives, threats to our spiritual well-being, emotional, mental well-being. It just seems like everywhere you turn, there is a threat. And living as exiles in this world, that causes a great amount of fear, a great amount of dread. Um, and so we often forget in that moment that God is sovereign over his creation. But more than just being sovereign, like a sovereign ruler, God actually cares for his creation. He providentially cares. He's involved in, in the lives of his people, protecting, uh, like Jesus would say in the New Testament, clothing the sparrow, how much more so would he take care of you, right? And so as we read the book of Esther, I think we can gather a lot from the, the period of time that the Jewish people saw themselves in. It was a very perilous time for them in exile. Uh, it was a very fearful time. The king had ordered their complete genocide. Uh, he had become convinced that they were a threat to him and they were ordered to be wiped out by their enemies. Uh, but we see as the book of Esther unfolds, God's protective care his people while they were in exile and I think we can draw certain things from from uh, this story so just to give you a bit of context uh, if you've never read the book of Esther I can't for time constraints go through the entire book but just some bullet points uh, the book of Esther records a time when the Persian Empire uh, had taken over the Babylonian Empire so last week we talked about life under the Babylonian Empire and they would later be conquered by the Persians and um, King Azurus, otherwise known as King Xerxes, uh, was reigning at the time. And so story goes that he was married to Queen Vashti and um, at a moment in which the king was trying to flaunt his wealth and all that he had acquired, including her, he summoned her um, in front of the nobles and whatnot, and she refused to come, and it was a very embarrassing moment. And because of that, the king removed the queenship, I guess, or removed her title of queen from her and sought a new queen. Eventually, Esther, a Jewish woman who the text describes as very, very beautiful, um, would gain the favor of the king, and she would become queen. And so, even though she became becomes queen, though, she refuses to reveal her identity as a Jew because her cousin and, her, and simultaneously her guardian, Mordecai, uh, tells her to not reveal her identity. And so during that time, as minorities who held different customs, different beliefs, different law from the Persians, uh, the Jews had enemies and one of the enemies was a man named Haman and this man rose to power under the king and um, as he rose to power and the king promoted him uh, the king gave an order that all were to bow down to him all were to honor him and Mordecai um, Esther's cousin refused 
to pay homage or bow to Haman. Haman sees this and is furious and hatches a plot to uh, not only kill Mordecai, but to have the Jews extinct because it was because of obviously their religious beliefs that they refused to ingratiate their, their way into Persian customs and idolatry. And so he convinces the king that these Jewish individuals are a problem and a threat to the king and then King Xerxes says, all right, you have permission, wipe them out. And you can understand that fear seizes the Jewish people, seizes Mordecai, and seizes Esther. So last week, you know, when I spoke about resistance um, in uh, Daniel chapter 1, it kind of goes well for Daniel. I mean, if you read the rest of Daniel, you'll see that persecution does come for some resistance. But at the end of chapter 1, for last week, the chapter that I focused on, um, Daniel resists. Uh, eating the king's food, but he finds favor with uh, one of the king's uh, work, um, one of the people that were working for the king, and the, he allows Daniel and the Hebrew boys to not eat the king's food, and they appear, God blesses that immediately, they appear healthy, and things go well for them. The, they, are, they are allowed to continue with what they had planned on doing. And so we see there that resistance immediately brought God's blessing. But in the book of Esther, we see quite the opposite. We see now that resistance sometimes brings persecution. Uh, you don't feel the immediate blessing from God sometimes when you choose to stand for what's right and for what's good. Uh, the Jews resisted idolatry and um, because of Haman's wickedness. Haman gets for an order. He gets an order to have the Jews annihilated. And so sometimes when we resist the evil around us, things go well for us and God's blessing is immediate. But sometimes when we resist evil around the evil around us, things don't go so well for us. And and it's important to understand that sometimes persecution does happen and but even in the midst of that persecution even in the midst of those that opposition God does call us to stand firm he does call us to still uh, stand for what is right and good even if it means uh, we may lose our lives right and so since Esther is in a position of influence with the king obviously she's the queen uh, Mordecai implores her to act on behalf of her people, the Jews. So this is where I want to pick up in the text. If you have your Bible, uh, you can read Esther chapter 4, verses 8 to 17. I'm just going to read that real quick. So Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathash went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathash and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman 
goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will go, will also fast as you do, and then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. And so we see here that Esther's immediate response when Mordecai first comes to speak to her was one filled with self-preservation and fear. Uh, even though she knew that her people were facing genocide, uh, she did not want to put her own self at risk. Uh, she said, look, everyone knows, all, uh, all the servants, everyone knows that if the king doesn't summon you, you don't go before the king. And so in that moment, uh, she was forgetting God's sovereignty. And in that moment, she was, uh, I believe she had become comfortable with her position as queen. And she sought to protect herself and I think we can look at this and question sometimes whether or not we often tolerate injustice in order to preserve our own safety. Uh, let's be real, sometimes standing up for what's right leads very much uh, to us losing our comfort. And there, there are many times in history when great atrocities have taken place because many people, even people who know God, um, stood by and did absolutely nothing. And so we have to um, recognize though that even in this fallen world, as living as exiles, where we see a tremendous amount of opposition and we face a tremendous amount of threat to our own danger, we have to stand up for the oppressed, even if it means risking losing our own lives and so Mordecai gives her a reality check right Mordecai reminds her remember who you are you are a Jew just because you're, you sit comfortably in the palace as queen does not mean when they find out and they will find out that you're a Jew and you will not be killed alongside the Jews in other words he was telling her this remember your identity and if you remember last week, I spoke about the need to preserve our identity in the midst of a Babylon, in the midst of being exiles in a culture that oftentimes wants to change our identity. Esther forgot who she was, that she was in fact a part of God's people. 
she now saw herself as queen of Persia, right? And so Mordecai had to go, wait a minute, remember, you too will suffer the same fate. You are one of us. Uh, and so Esther's initial response forgets God's sovereignty and she is overcome with fear. However, Mordecai reminds her of God's sovereignty. Um, and as you see, you look at um, verse 14, right? He says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I just love this passage. Uh, Mordecai confidently asserts that even though he may not see it, he can say confidently that the deliverance for the Jews will come. Why? Because he knows, he remembers that God is sovereign, he's king. He remembers that God made a covenant with the Jewish people, that they, they, those are his people that he has protected and cared for, even in exile, throughout the ages. And so he can say, look, I may not even know where the deliverance is coming from. And listen, I just want to personalize this. Some of you are going through all kinds of things right now, and you may not even know where the deliverance is going to come from. But you can rest assured that because you are in covenant with Jesus Christ, that he is, his presence is with you, he is sovereign, and his protective care is for you, in the midst of us being in exile and deliverance will come. And that's what he tells Esther. But he, but he also says, you need to understand that if you say nothing, you will perish because of that wicked act of remaining silent when you could have stood up and did something about it. But he also says another very um, interesting statement. He says, who knows? Maybe this is the reason why you've been raised up as queen. You may have come into his kingdom for this very reason. And in fact, she was. She was raised up as queen to save her people. And I just find that to be fascinating. Before Haman even hatched a plan to take out the Jewish people, God had already raised Esther up to be queen to save her people. That's mind-boggling. Think about that. We don't serve a God who reacts to the evil plans of men in order to save his people. We serve a God who proactively ordains the salvation and deliverance of his people even before evil men plan to do their destruction. He sovereignly raised up Esther for such a time as this, long before Haman even hatched a plan to destroy the Jews. And I think for Christians living in exile, we would do well to even remember Paul's words in Romans 8:28. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things, good things, bad things, big things, small things, small minute actions that seem insignificant. God is using, God is ordaining all of those things up in ways that we can't even see for our good. And this gives us the courage 
to stand against evil. So, what does she do? She uh, receives Mordecai's reality check, and she determines to approach the king and uh, stand against this evil. But she doesn't do it in her own strength. She and all the Jews sought the Lord during a three-day fast. And so I just want to make this point that I don't want, through all the talk of God's sovereignty here, to negate the fact that human responsibility is very important. That it was God's plan to bring about the deliverance of his own people through their prayers and their fasting. Um, this is how God works. He invites us into our very own sanctification, our very own um, blessing by, by, by choosing to seek Him. Uh, and although God can act apart from our involvement, He wants, he, 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 he wants us to be involved. And he, he neither, nor does he want us to rely on our own strengths and talents uh, in order to be delivered, right? Because Esther was aware of her own beauty, right? Esther was aware of the fact that she had favor with the king um, because she was a queen. But she didn't rely on her beauty. She didn't say, you know what, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to seduce the king, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to reason with the king or debate the king or any of that. She said, no, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to fast. Um, and so I just want to ask this question. How many of us, when faced with calamity, run to Jesus instead of running to everything else, trusting in everything else? I think sometimes we have a real problem with that. But through prayer, through community through fasting you know we experience God's love and protective care and we're reminded of his sovereignty oftentimes prayer is not so you can inform God of what he needs to do but it's for us to be reminded and strengthened of the fact that God is in fact sovereign and so Esther approaches the king and God gives her favor um, the king reverses his decisions kill the Jews and he gives the Jews the right to take out all of those who oppose their well-being and Haman is hanged on the gallows that he he built in order to try to hang Mord Mordecai and that's a beautiful picture of how God the same instrument that was built to hang Mordecai is the same instrument that God used to deliver his people by hanging Mordecai. And we see this, you know, in the New Testament. Uh, the same instrument that evil men plotted to kill Jesus with the cross was the same instrument that God used to bring about the salvation of his people. King Xerxes was was opposed evil men plotted to use king xerxes to oppose and to annihilate the jews but god used king xerxes to actually give the jews permission to defend themselves and annihilate their enemies and they experienced god's salvation through 
what God does, taking the evil that men plan and using it ultimately for the good of his people and for their salvation. And so evil men plotted to destroy Jesus by the cross and by the cross billions of people now know God and are saved. This is the God that we serve. And so in closing, I just want to remind all of us that as we are exiles in this world, battling with fear, battling with chaos, battling with evil that surrounds us, we have to understand that we serve a God that proactively, preemptively takes care of us, watches over us, sovereignly protects us, cares for us, and ultimately uses the evil for our good. Amen.